Pastor Lloyd, thank you so very, very much for the privilege and the honor of allowing me to be a part of this. I love you. I love your church. I love this conference and the churches that always so faithfully attend and pour their hearts into all of this. Uh, we've been praying for you, dear men, during this coronavirus. And we surely need the Pacific Rim to be reached as never before. And I just want to thank you for letting us have a small part in this. We love you folks dearly. The one thing that I know is the most important thing in all the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the local church. I've told everybody across America and around the world, our hope doesn't rest in a man. It rests in the gospel and it rests in the local church. And boy, how we need our churches as never, ever before. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of James? I want to look at James chapter one for just a moment. And I want you to look at some commands that were written to some incredible Christians. Whenever you read the book of James, and I love to preach from this book, it was written by the half-brother to the Savior, Jesus Christ. That means he would have grown up in the home with Jesus. He would have seen him as a junior high and a high school age boy. He would have seen the Son of God up personal. And in spite of the fact that he lived in the home with Jesus, the Bible says that he was not a follower. He was not a believer. He was one of those that probably came in and tried to remove Jesus, saying he's beside himself. Uh, he's not right. But then when he saw Jesus after the resurrection, the Bible says in Acts, he became a follower. James, mightily touched by God to now bring us this book in the Bible, a man that God raised up to be the head of the church at Jerusalem. James, the half-brother to the Savior. Now, James here is writing to a very special group of people. He's writing to those that have stood true, to those who have been absolutely passionate in their following of Christ. He starts out in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He wasn't writing to a sheltered group. He was writing to a scattered group. And the reason they were scattered is because persecution had come. Many believers folded. They gave in. But these groups did not. They stood tall, even though they had to take flight with their families for their very lives. They were scattered to the faith. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this book. He said, this book was written to some Christians who had proved themselves. Some Christians that had a testimony, not just with their words, but with their life. And that's what we need today. It's not just our words, but our life that counts. And to these believers that had stood so true, God gives some admonition. So I want you to look at these admonitions because they're commands from the very word of God. Look at verse 19, chapter 1, the first thing he says. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Wow. That's not a good suggestion for life. That's a command from the throne room of God. I have to keep reminding myself because we're all in love with the sound of our own voices. God says, listen. I want you to have world-class receptive hearing. I want you to be quick to hear, but I want you to be slow to speak and slow to wrath. 
Isn't it amazing how easily we get riled up? How something aggravates us? Or you watch something on one of the news outlets and you say, oh my goodness, that's just, that's terrible. And we get all riled up. Remember, God said the wrath of man does not do the righteousness of God. And so he says, I want you to be quick to hear. I want you to be slow to speak. And I want you to be slow to wrath. Three absolute commands. But then drop down to verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own hearts. Wow. God says, I don't want you just to hear it and say amen. I want you to do it. I know so much of the scripture that I have to keep reminding myself, now come on, the fact I know it doesn't mean I'm doing it. I'm called of God to be a doer and not a hearer only. If I were to ask you just between you and God, don't answer out loud or to any other person, how good are you at doing and not being a hero's only? He said, if we're not good at doing and careful about doing, then the simple fact of the matter is we're deceiving ourselves. My precious wife, Glorianne, many times we've sat down and she said, boy, you know, pray with me. There's some things that the Bible's saying that I, I know and I knew it before, but I haven't been doing it. And I don't want to be a doer only. What a testimony. Every one of us needs to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I'm going to be a doer, not just a hearer, a doer. If you have children, and I always remind folks, kids are God's little spies. Boy, they know what we're doing. They know how much of it we're doing. Our people know. God knows. And the simple fact is, I'm not called to be a great student of all of this. I'm called to be a great doer of all of this. Maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm doing everything in the Bible. Well, then pray for me. Because it's just easy to get casual. It's easy to get distracted. And all of a sudden, we're doing so much good serving, so hard, but we're not doing. He says, number one, I want you to be slow on some things. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to rap. And then he says, be sure that you are a doer and not a hearer only. But then I want to take you down to the verses I really want to dwell on. Verse 26 and 27. God gives three commands here on top of these. Remember who they're addressed to, great Christians. But three commands that should pierce every one of our souls. Look at what he says in verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, and then comes a frightening statement, this man's religion is vain, vain. If any man among you seem to be religious. Have you ever pretended to have it together better than you got it together? Have you ever walked into church or been with your friends and acted like you had a great prayer life last week? A great time in the word, a great time of prayer and meditation. We seem to be religious. The greatest acts are not found on some Broadway or theater stage. They're not found on some movie theater lot. The greatest acts are found in churches where people seem to be 
what we're not. We act like we have it together better than we do. I'll never forget, and I've told this story many times, I was with my wife. We were traveling in our motorhome and we were parked outside a church. It was Wednesday afternoon and I had a major call with a federal judge that I had to take. And the judge called late. He was supposed to call me about five o'clock. The service that night was at seven. And all of a sudden his call got later and later. And when he finally called, it was all but 6.30. So I'm on the phone with this judge and my wife said, honey, the service is gonna start shortly. We gotta get up there. I said, I know, I know, well, I'll, I'll get off as quick as I can. And the judge just went on and on. And several times I said, judge, I, I have another appointment. Didn't matter, he just went on and on. And you just can't hang up on him. Finally, my wife said, honey, the people are all flooding in. The auditorium's filling up. They're here for the Wednesday night service. And I said, I know, I know, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Now it was seven o'clock and you could hear them starting to sing. And my wife came by me and she said, honey, they're singing. I said, I know I can hear it. Finally, at about 10 after seven, I got off the phone. Now I turned to my wife and I said, come on, come on. You're making a slate. Hurry up, hurry up. She hadn't made a slate. I was the guy who made a slate. Now to get out of our motorhome, you had to walk down some fold out steps and my wife with her bad knee, she has a hard time. And I'm saying, come on, come on, man. hurry, 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 come on. And she said, I'm going as fast as I can. And she said, you go on, go on ahead of me. And I said, no, no, it won't look good if I walk in without you. Did you hear that? It won't look good if I walk in without you. Seeming to be. Now, we were parked at the bottom of a hill and you had to walk up kind of a steep incline to go up to the front door of the church. And she was just having a hard time. He said, come on, you gotta walk faster, walk faster. Now we got up to where the usher who was at the front door was. And when he said, oh, Brother Gibbs, so glad you're here. And it was time for the act to start. Oh, praise God, my wife and I are so thrilled to be here. I didn't tell him that I treated my wife poorly all the way in. I didn't tell him I'd raise my voice to her. It was time to put the act on. He said, why don't you sit here, Miss Gibbs? And the pastor called me up and I'm sitting on the platform. And the Lord spoke to my heart. The Lord said, you just treated your precious bride terrible. I said, yeah, I know I did. He said, now I suppose you want me to help you. I said, yeah, that's pretty much what I had in mind. I don't want to ruin the act now. Isn't it amazing how comfortable we get pretending to have it together better than we do? If any man among you seem to be religious. When I stood up to preach that night, boy, I confessed what I did. I said, I was the one that made us late. I couldn't get off the phone. And then I, I ragged on my precious wife who was trying to help me. And then all the way in here, knowing that she's got this physical difficulty, I pressed on her. I treated her terrible. And boy, I need to tell God I'm sorry. I need to tell her I'm sorry. I need to tell you people I'm sorry. God didn't call us to be world-class fakes. He didn't call us to be world-class actors, seeming to be religious. He called us to be real. 
the real McCoy. Now look at what he says. If any man among them seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue. There's no such thing as a good Christian with an unbridled tongue. Have you got your tongue bridled? And it's never bridled by accident. A bridle is something that by God's grace you put on. I love what I heard a preacher one day say. He said, the minute I wake up, the minute my feet hit the floor, the first thing I do is give God that day. And the second thing I do is bridle my tongue. When's the last time you said, God, put the bridle on? I need my tongue bridled. Remember, this was not written to the lost. This was written to God's people, great people. But if you don't have a bridled tongue, you're in trouble. God says our religion is vain. That word vain is an unbelievable word. It, it meant literally worthless. We're not what God's called us to be if we don't have a bridled tongue. Now, I grew up on cattle farms. And on my grandma's farm, we had a number of horses. And they were just for pleasure. They weren't anything to do work. But boy, when we'd walk in the barns carrying a bridle, most of those horses, the minute they saw a bridle, they just ran off or they put their head in a corner because they didn't want to lose control. Do you understand what a bridle does is it gives someone else the control. When God says bridle your tongue, you're saying, God, I don't want to control this. I want you to control this. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I want my tongue bright open. Every one of us has said something we wish we hadn't said. Every one of us has had our tongue get us in trouble. And God says, I want this bridle. Now with those horses, boy, they would clamp their mouths down so you couldn't get that bit in. And we'd put salt or sugar on it with the hope that they'd lick it real quick. And when they'd lick it, then we'd real quick because they were resisting. Well, here's the problem. God says, I want you to stop the resistance. I want you to be willing to let the Holy Spirit bridle your tongue. There is no such thing, as I said, as a good Christian that doesn't have a bridled tongue. Most of you are like me. Words just come to us, and all of a sudden we're saying things and boy, an unbridled tongue is dangerous. You say, well, I'm trying to control my tongue. Well, I want you to look at something. The Bible says you can't control your tongue. Go over to chapter 3 in James. And look at what God says. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. God says, your tongue without a bridle on it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. Verse 8, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Brother Gibbs, I'm trying not to say wrong things. You can't stop. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can get it bridled 
God can control it. But you got to offer your tongue. I think when I go to the altar, and what I tell people, whenever God speaks to your heart, respond, go to the altar. I don't care who's preaching. I don't care what the passage is. If God talks to your heart, that's the time to respond. But I tell people, when's the last time you went to the altar and put your tongue on it? When you said to God, I need it bridal. I think you ought to do it every day. In my prayer life, I pray three, four, sometimes 10 times in a day, God, boy, do I need it bridal. All the things coming at us, your Holy Spirit has got to control this tongue. I can't. The tongue can no man tame. But you can. That's why that bridle's so critical. When's the last time you bowed with your wife or your husband and you bridled your tongues before God together? When's the last time you taught your kids? We're going to bridle our tongues. Let God have control. Now, this is written in the continuum. And the greater Bible scholars here will tell you that means you, you only say it once, but it's meant to be said over and over. When God says bridle it, he means keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. One thing I know about horses, once you get them bridled, their next agenda is to get that bridle off. Or if they find a fence post, they'll rub their face on it or the corner of a building, they'll rub because they want control back. They don't want you to have control. That bridle takes control away. God says, I want you to be willing to let me bridle you. Oh, it'll change everything. I don't know if this is true for you, but one of the greatest challenges in my life is keeping my tongue bridled. Words sometimes just come to me. I've heard people say, I, I was at a loss for words. I've never been at a loss for words. I just open my mouth and the words come. And that's true with most of you. And by the way, remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Before it ever came out your mouth, it was spoken in your heart. God says, I want you to get that bridle. Oh, it'll change everything. I don't want to be a fake. If any man among you seem to be religious, you got to bridle that tongue. Wow. Growing up, my mom would say to me, I'm worried about how quick you speak. She said, you realize you talk so much more than your sister. There's probably nobody in the house talks as much as you, David. And she said, the problem is you're to be slow to speak. Remember that command up there? Be careful. We're all in love with the sound of our voice. I said that earlier. But it's got to be a bridled tongue. To pastors, oh my, the measure of your words. What an incredible standard. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridled not his tongue, this man's religion is vain. There's the first command. Look at the second and third command found in verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Now, don't read any further. The fact there's something called pure religion means there's something unpure. God's people can have an unpure faith. And he gives you two standards of purity here. Pure religion 
and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Number one, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Fatherless and the widows were the people with no rights. They were the people who couldn't do anything. If you were fatherless, if you were a widow, you had no ability to help yourself. You couldn't do anything for anybody. You just survived trying to somehow help yourself a little bit. You know what God said? I want you to visit them in their affliction. Wow. When's the last time you went to people who couldn't do anything to help you back? People who have nothing. People who are in their affliction. And you want to help them. If we're not careful, we want to help people who can help us back. I'll do something for you, but now you're going to do something for me, right? I'll do something for you, Pastor, but now remember, you owe me. No, 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 that's not helping people. That's trading favors. And that's not commanded at all. He said, I want you to find people who can't do anything for you. And I want you to visit them, get into their affliction. Oh, Brother Gibbs, you help people, and then they don't even appreciate it. God never said they would. Yeah, but Brother Gibbs say they can be aggravating just to deal with. I mean, I heard a fellow once say, you go to help people, and it's like white on rice. They attach to you. Yeah, I understand. But you've got a command of God to visit them in their affliction help people who can't do that. I'll never forget my dad when I was growing up. We put in thousands of acres of corn every year. And when we did that, our neighbor down the road had a farm way smaller than ours, but that man came down extraordinarily sick. In fact, they thought he was going to die. He was bedridden. He wasn't supposed to survive. And it was time to plant all the seed and get everything ready. Now, you got to understand, when we would plant corn, you planted corn 24 hours a day. I mean, day and night, the machines never stopped. Uh, the only thing we did was Saturday night at 10 o'clock, we shut them off, and they started 3 a.m. Monday morning. We never did anything on Sunday. But we just went around the clock. And it was a job to get all those thousands of acres in. My dad came and said, you know, our neighbor's in real trouble. He's not going to get his crops out. And I know he doesn't have money. They don't have much. And I want us to go down there, and we're going to offer to put their crops out for him. I said, Dad, we, we're going to be buried getting our own done. He said, no. We're going to help them. And I said, they won't appreciate it. He said, that's not why we're doing it. If you only help people, if you think they appreciate it, then you're selfish. Visit them in their affliction. I said, Dad, Miss Tate, she's terrible. She's the worst. She shoots at our dogs with her gun. She cusses at us all the time. He said, I know. But we're going to show them that we want to put it out for Jesus. We're going to visit them in their affliction. 
we went down and offered it. They said, well, we, we don't have any money. My dad said, that's okay, I'll buy the seed. Uh, we'll use our equipment to get everything out. We just want to serve you. I remember while we were putting it out, working day and night, I said, boy, this is a lot, a lot of work. I hope they appreciate it. And my dad could read my face. I'd be out there plowing at three in the morning and he'd come by and he'd say, I can read your face, David, stop it. Remember, we're commanded to be the people who help others in their affliction. Well, finally we got it all out. Then my dad said, now they're still down sick, he's gonna die. We're gonna cultivate all of this and make sure that we put the weed killer down and everything. And it wasn't that much. It was probably another seven, 800 acres. But boy, on top of everything else, it was terrible workload. My dad kept saying, I can see your face. Has not got it yet, son. Do you understand? It's a privilege to do what God wants. There's nothing wrong than someone obeying God with a bad spirit. Because God knows the spirit you're doing. My dad was trying to fix my spirit. Finally, he's just at death's door. And now it's time to harvest all this stuff. My dad said, we're going to harvest it all for him and get it done. Boy, when it was all done, I thought, boy, I don't mean this wrong, Lord. I kind of hope he sells his farmer's away or something so we don't get caught doing that again. Well, miraculously, the man recovered. That next year, he called my dad. He said, we don't go to church. He said, I grew up, never went to church in my life. He said, the only time I've been in church is when I got married. But he said, I'd like to go to your church. Any way you'd let us go with you? He said, I can't figure out why you people would help us. But we just want what you got. Wow. I said, Dad, that's amazing. My dad said, David, I'm so thankful he's going to go to church. By the way, they both ended up getting saved and all their kids got saved. Praise God for that. But he said, David, we did it because it's commanded. Visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. When's the last time you made a list of people in dire affliction? so that you could help them. Not to get something back, but so that you can give, so that you can do something. Dr. Hiles, I heard him say this hundreds of times. He said, when you've got a problem, he said, the first thing you wanna do is find somebody else with a problem and help them. And when I heard him say that, I thought that doesn't make sense. He said, the Bible commands it he said, God wants you to be a helper to people in affliction, even when you have afflictions of your own. I've thought of my dad and those nights on that tractor working in those fields. And indeed, it changed my life. We don't do this by accident. We don't put the bridle on by accident. And by the grace of God, we don't visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction people who can't help. 
but they've got dire trouble. Yeah, but Brother Gibbs, there's so much out there. You can't help everybody. You know what that is? That's an excuse most of the time to help nobody. I promise you, if God leaves something across your path, God will give you the means. Remember what he said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Wow. Number one, we got to bridle our tongue. Number two, we got to help those in affliction. Visit them in their affliction. That means get in, bear their burden. Look at number three. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Boy, is this world good at spotting Christians, putting something on them that shouldn't be there. We're commanded by God not to be conformed to this world. But news media, magazines, the Internet, boy, is it powerful. All of a sudden, you can see stuff that is around the world that isn't right. And it spots people. Can I remind you, gossip's a sin. And the Internet is full of gossip. People come up to me all the time and say, have you heard something? I said, where'd you get that? And they say, oh, I got it off the Internet. They're spreading stuff, no idea whether it's true or not. Getting spotted by this world. Wow. I've preached this many times. You probably heard me say it. One of the great mistakes is to go to the altar to get cleaner, but not clean. God wants you and me to be unspotted. When's the last time you said, God, I don't want to just be cleaner. I want to be clean. Get me unspotted. D.L. Moody. I'm told he closed almost every service he had by telling people, don't leave here if you're not clean. Because if you're not clean and you're a child of God, you're going nowhere. Now we know if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I'm not clean, it isn't because God don't want me clean. It's because I'm not making the steps to keep myself unspotted from this world. My mom, who was in a wheelchair, polio had taken her ability to walk away, strapped in a wheelchair. She would get my sister and I, and she would say, let's make sure we're clean. My dad would do it during family altar. And if you don't have a family altar time, boy, rethink that. Somebody has to train, and it needs to be mom and dad. And she'd say, let's make sure we're clean. And you say, well, I, I, I don't have anything to confess. I dare think you do. Boy, thoughts, fantasies, emotions, words we've said not right. For me not to go out and find somebody in their affliction, that's a sin. I'm commanded to do that. Keep himself unspotted from this world, unspotted. A wonderful man of God by the name of Levi Wisner. Every time I'd see him, he'd ask me the same thing. Are you unspotted? He asked every Christian that. 
And it always struck me strange, you know, walk up the people and, oh, God bless you, are you unspotted? And people would look kind of startled. It's a great question. We're commanded to be unspotted. If we're going to be pure, pure religion. God writing to this church said, number one, get that tongue bridled. That's not an accident. That's a command. Get it bridled and keep it bridled. Number two, he said, visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Finding people who absolutely, by the grace of God, can't help you back. They can't help themselves. But God's people are commanded to be the help. And we're not doing it for them. We're doing it for the Lord Jesus, hoping it blesses them. And then number three, keeping ourselves unspotted from this world. These commands always indict me. Every time I read them, every time I get the privilege to preach on them, they speak deep to my heart and soul. And by the grace of God, I've been praying that God will use this moment together. How I wish we could be there. Oh, I miss being in Australia with you precious folks. But the power of the word of God can go through a camera, go through an electronic, and come right to your doorstep, and you can see it. And my prayer is this wasn't just a show. My prayer is that by the Holy Spirit of God, we're going to be the people who are real. We're going to be the people with bridled tongues. We're going to be the people, by God's grace, who help the widows and the orphans in their affliction. And we're going to be the people who keep ourselves unspotted from this world. Remember the command just ahead of it? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. Pray for those in our ministry at the Christian Law Association. Pray for your country, the believers there. Again, the only hope any of our nations have is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the local church. And we get the privilege of being the Lord Jesus' ambassadors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief time together. Now, God, I pray that the power of your word will weld itself to our souls that we'll leave here, not touched by my words because they're insignificant, touched by the power of your word, that we will be a people who are going to show this world that we're real with a bridled tongue, a people who are pure and true because we have absolutely gone and visited the fatherless and the widows, helping people who can't help themselves. And by your grace, we're going to be absolutely clean, keeping ourselves unspotted. It doesn't say spotted less. It says unspotted. God, pray for every heart here. Thank you for allowing me to share this with these precious folks. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.